this is a six-part series, and we're halfway through that. This is week four of that. And so going into that, I want to put all my cards on the table this morning. I don't want to ever be accused of a bait and switch. I know there's a lot of ministries that do that. They say they invite you to something, and then when they get there, they want to you know, go through a tract with you and lead you through the Roman road of salvation. I get that. I understand that ministry strategy. That's not really what I'm into. I don't like bait and switches. I want to be sincere, but I also realize that the title of this series is I Can't Believe in God, and I definitely do believe in God. And so I love this stuff. I love talking about this stuff. I'm passionate about it. Most of this stuff I've dealt with in my early 20s, and at the time, I thought I was the only one dealing with it. Now we got a whole category for this thing. It's called deconstruction. I, there wasn't a category for it 20 years ago. I thought I was just figuring this out on my own. Um, and this has been a huge issue for our country, for my generation specifically. There's been a big response to this series. And so I just want to lay out for you the things that I hope to accomplish by going through all this stuff in this series. The first one is that I hope people decide to give their lives to following and serving Jesus. That's first and foremost. I hope that there are people who have shown up because they understand the tension that exists between faith in God and belief in nothing. And I hope that through clearly presenting the ideas of Christianity through history and the teaching of Scripture, prompting of the Holy Spirit, that people will make a decision for Christ. So that's my first thing I would love to see accomplished in this series. The second one is that I hope there are people who do believe in, follow and serve Jesus, who would be encouraged in that faith and belief. I hope that this series would give some affirmation about what they believe, and I hope that people will be more bold in the way that they love Jesus and serve other people in his name. And I hope that your doubts and your thoughts and your ideas have been challenged in this series. And since we're in the middle of this, and you can go online and catch up, but this might be a good time to just kind of recap what we've talked about so far. Because the last three weeks, especially last week, was a lot of information. It's a mind bender, and we're going to do a lot more of that in a couple weeks. But this series is a lot of fun for me. And first week, we talked about all the people who grew up in church and then left church, the nuns, the religious non-affiliates. 25% of America and 35% of my generation millennials would consider themselves that at this time. They just couldn't reconcile what they learned in church with the life that they were living. And pain and suffering seems irreconcilable with a loving God, and science and faith seem to kind of be irreconcilable at each other's throat all the time. But there is a tension between faith in God and belief in nothing. Christianity is going to come with doubt. There's no way around it. It's just going to be there. But atheism seems to lead to despair. If all we are is biology and chemistry ruled by the laws of physics, there's not a lot of hope there. And I'm not claiming that every atheist lives in despair. I'm just telling you that's where it would lead me. And many of you have childhood faith that never really grew up. You received faith-based answers to fact-based questions, and then when you didn't get the answers you wanted, you just walked away from all of it, and I get that. But what I've discovered is that most of the reasons that people have walked away from Christianity actually have nothing to do with Christianity at all. The second week, we talked about the fact that many of you quit believing in a God that never existed in the first place, which is good news. We talked about the secret service God. We, we want to see God as the guy working behind the scenes to make sure that nothing bad happens, but the reality is bad stuff happens all the time. And that idea of God is not real. It's certainly not a Christian idea of who God is. We talked about on-demand God who works a lot more like a genie, shows up, does exactly what you want, exactly the way you ask him, but that's not the way God is described in Christianity at all. Talked about goosebump God that's all about feelings. It gives you goosebumps, and we begin to equate the presence of God with those feelings, but that can lead to some weird stuff. 
We talked about guilt God, and that comes with pretty much any religious system, that, that he's just the guy in the sky that's throwing lightning bolts every time you mess up. It's really hard to get away from that God, but when you do, there's a lot of freedom in that. And we talked about the anti-science God, that for some reason the church has been pitted against science and that we're at odds with each other, and that was never the, the deal to begin with. And I've had a lot of conversations around these ideas in the last few weeks, and and I hope that a lot of y'all have given up on those gods that never existed to begin with. Last week, we had a history lesson. And we realized that just because the Bible tells me so isn't enough for most of us. That our faith is a lot more defendable than just saying, well, it's in the Bible, so it has to be true. And we talked about the fact, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, Christianity does not exist because of the Bible the Bible exists because of Christianity. The books, the letters, all the historical accounts that make up the New Testament, they were written by people who wrote down what they saw, not what they believed. They wrote down what they saw. And we can get caught up in all the details of the Bible, the stories in the Old Testament that just seem weird, obscure, perceived inconsistencies. But Christianity does not hang on the defendability of the Bible. Christianity precedes the Bible. And the reason that we have the Bible is because Jesus rose from the dead. That's the reason we have the Bible. When Jesus was here on earth 2,000 years ago, he told the Jewish people, and he was Jewish, and this got him in a lot of trouble. He told them, hey, the Old Testament, all that stuff y'all have, all the Jew Jewish and Hebrew scriptures, all of that stuff is about me. Everything in scripture points to me. He was saying, I am the fulfillment of all of the stuff that Jewish children learned about in the synagogue growing up. It's all been fulfilled by me. I'm the fulfillment of all of it, the law, the prophecies, the symbolism, and all the stories in the Old Testament. All of that is about me. And at first, no one believed him. Nobody. Why would they? That was a ridiculous claim. But then, as time went on, it started to add up. And the scripture said this, and then Jesus actually did that. And some of them started to believe that he may be the Messiah and the fulfillment of all those Jewish scriptures. And then Jesus was executed. He was crucified publicly, game over, right? Whatever movement was starting with this guy is over with now, lights out on this whole thing, and we were wrong that we thought he was something that he's not. And in those few days after the crucifixion, there were no Jesus followers, okay? Nobody believed he was coming back. They had just seen him die. But Jesus was the Son of God when he died, and then he did come back. He rose from the dead, and that's what started all of this. And people begin to look back at all the Jewish scriptures and realize that Jesus was who he said he was. They begin to believe in him and follow him. And the Jewish followers of Jesus, they realized that all their scriptures did point to Jesus. And all the people that came outside of Judaism, all the Gentiles, they became obsessed with the Jewish scriptures because they realized that all of them were about Jesus. And there's a ton of examples but the big one that I want to give you today, if you've never read Isaiah 53, and I'm going to put this on the screen at the end so you don't have to write it down right now. But Isaiah 53 was written between 680 and 720 years before Jesus showed up, before Jesus was ever born. And it was prophesying about the coming of the Messiah. And I just want you to read it for yourself. I'm not going to read it this morning. It's so strong. I don't know how anyone could know about Jesus, read that, and not think it was about Jesus. I mean, it's, it's a really powerful thing. And it's it's a big thing that Jewish people have to wrestle with. In fact, I have a friend that's actually a pastor now at a church in Kansas City. And he's really good friends with my buddy Chad. But he was raised in a Jewish family. And when he got to college, he got invited to church by friends, but he didn't ever want to go. He just told them he was Jewish. And one of his Christian friends encouraged him to read Isaiah 53. And when he read it, 
he thought, man, Christians have just hijacked this text because Isaiah 53 is in the Bible, but it's also in the Torah. And so he went home and he got his Torah and he read it and it said exactly the same thing and it really confused him. So when he went home for Christmas, his first semester in college, he asks his rabbi about Isaiah 53 and he says, man, this really sounds like Jesus. What do I do with that? And the rabbi said, yeah, but we're Jewish. We don't follow Jesus. And that wasn't enough for my friend. He was like, hey, uh, that's not an answer to my question. That's just an observation. Obviously, we're Jewish. Obviously, we don't follow Jesus. But this thing I'm reading in the Torah sure sounds a lot like Jesus. It really seems to be pointing to him. And he started to look into it for himself, decided to follow Jesus. Now he's serving in Christian ministry. And Jesus' followers have always loved the Jewish scriptures. Even before Christianity was even legal, they included the Jewish scriptures in the New Test- with the New Testament. The first person to do this was Melito from Sardis in 130 A.D. He was the first person to call it the Old Testament or the Old Covenant because Jesus said before the cross that he was starting a new covenant, but this was really offensive to Jewish people because they didn't want to see their covenant as the Old Covenant. They wanted to see it as the current covenant. But that combination of the New Testament writings with all the Jewish and Hebrew scriptures that all pointed to Jesus, those are the documents that make up the Bible. And the point of all of this is that Christianity preceded the Bible. The Bible didn't cause Christianity. So if you walked away from Christianity because of something in the Bible, because you couldn't make it jive between science and history and all these other things you've learned, I just want to tell you, you may have walked away unnecessarily. Christianity does not rise and fall on the details in a book. Not even a book as important to our faith as the Bible. The Bible is based on the fact that Jesus died and came back. Simple as that. Now, I do take the Old Testament very, very seriously because of Jesus. In fact, I'm a really simple guy. If you predict your own death, which is easy, anybody could do that if you really got your mind made up, all right? If you can predict your own death and then predict your own resurrection, which is certainly not easy, and then actually pull it off, I'll go with whatever plan you got, all right? Like, I'm in on that. And Jesus took the Old Testament very seriously. He said it was all about him. And he seemed to take much of it literally, and so do I, because I want to have the same view of the Old Testament that Jesus did, and I would encourage you to have the same view as well. But Christianity does not rise and fall on the verifiability of the Old Testament. If the Old Testament disappeared from history, it wouldn't really undermine Christianity at all. The Old Testament is only important because of Jesus. Christianity began when Jesus raised from the dead. Then they recognized that he was who he said he was, and this is a big deal. People followed Jesus because of the resurrection. There was overwhelming evidence. Christianity did not begin with people who just believed in something. Christianity began with people who saw something. They experienced something. And then they believed in the person that they saw back from the dead, and that's a whole lot different than just like you got to have faith, right? I mean, you become a Christian through faith, not because of faith. Those are two different things. In every other religion, you have faith in faith. But Christianity has faith or believes in what they actually saw. They started to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and then he died. And in that moment, nobody believed. Nobody was standing at the tomb exactly three days later saying, this is when he said it was going to happen. Everybody get ready. Ten, nine, he's coming out any minute. Hey, nobody was doing that. Nobody was expecting him to show back up. Nobody. The Christian thing was dead. Nobody was following Jesus for those three days. But then they saw an empty tomb. And then they had breakfast with him on the beach. And honestly, like, who wouldn't believe after that? 
right? I mean, how much faith would it take you to believe in a risen Savior if you ate breakfast with him on the beach? It wouldn't take any faith at all, right? None. And that's how the Christian faith started. That's why I say it's not nearly as fragile as you might think. It doesn't hinge on some Old Testament story or New Testament miracle. It's a lot sturdier than that. It's a lot more defensible than that. And if Christianity was that fragile, it never would have survived the first century, much less the last 2,000 years. And so as we continue with this series, the reality is that what Jesus said about himself was trustworthy. He proved to be true. He said he was the Messiah. He said he would die and come back. He was, and he did. And in the same way, we can believe what Jesus said about who God is. And the gospel writers wrote down what Jesus said about God. And if you're here today and you're considering restarting your faith, like blank slate, you just want to start over, I would encourage you to start with Jesus because it's all about him. Jesus said, you can trust what I said about God because I know more about God than anybody else. And that drove religious leaders crazy, and it's a really arrogant thing to say unless it's true, right? So I want to talk about John, who was one of the 12 disciples. He walked with Jesus for all those three years of ministry. He saw the crucifixion and the resurrection. And at some point later in his life, the emperor Domitian actually exiled him to the Isle of Patmos because at this point they had killed a bunch of Christians, but every time they killed a Christian, like 10 more popped up, so they realized that wasn't working anymore. So they had him exiled. This guy had seen more bloodshed against Christianity than we can really wrap our minds around. He had lost friends to temple leaders and to the Roman Empire. I mean, he had just seen every level of human suffering that you can even think about. And he wrote down what Jesus had said to him and the other disciples that he believed. So in John 14, verse 7, John writes, this is Jesus talking, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do not know him, or you do know him and have seen him. And the disciples would have said, no, we haven't seen like God, like God the Father, the creator of everything. We've never seen him. We've just seen you. To which Jesus would say, or Philip said, you know, Lord, show us the Father. That, that'd be enough for us. We'll, we'll do that. Uh, we want to see him. We want to see him face to face in verse 8. And I think they, they kind of realize, hey, Jesus, you seem to have like this plug with God. Y'all are on like a first name basis or something. Just tell him to show up so I can get a glimpse of what he's like. I want to know about it. And Jesus tells him in verse 9, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And the disciples probably thought, hey, Jesus, you really shouldn't say stuff like this. Stuff like this is going to get you killed. This is pretty extreme. And in verse 10, he says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus tells us, guys, if you want to know what God's like, watch me. If you want to know what God is saying, then listen to me. Verse 11 says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe, this is the big part, on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus says, hey, believe me. I know it's extreme. I know it sounds crazy, but I want you to believe in me. And if you can't believe in me just because of the things I'm telling you, then believe in the evidence. Believe in the evidence. Jesus didn't ask his disciples to just believe in belief or to have faith in faith. He said, believe in the evidence of the works themselves. And so I would ask you to do the same thing. If you want to restart your faith, if you want to start over, and you want to know what God is like, start with Jesus. So what did Jesus say that God was like? 
He didn't say anything about the secret service God or the on-demand God, goosebump God, guilt God, at war with science God. He didn't talk about any of those things. The first thing that Jesus said God was like is he said that God is spirit. God is spirit. Jesus said this to a woman at the well, and uh, to the woman at the well, and this, this was already a huge debate, okay? Like, the Samaritans and the Hebrews had completely different views of God. They were arguing with each other about this stuff all the time, but at this point, this lady is arguing with Jesus. So she's arguing with God about God, which is kind of a losing proposition. And Jesus is showing compassion to this woman, who is very different from him. And this amazing statement Jesus says about God Hebrews would have always believed that this was true, that God was immaterial, that he was timeless, that he was spaceless, that you couldn't represent God with an image because he was spirit. And that went against every other pagan religion because they all had physical idols and representations of their gods. But the Hebrews, including Jesus, they would say that God is spirit. And so in John 4, verse 24, it says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Uh, God of spirit. And that's what the Hebrews have always believed. And Jesus tells the woman in the well that this is true. And that's interesting to me. What's interesting to me about that is if you want to reconcile your faith in God with modern science, God would have to be a spirit. God would have to be a spirit. Science believes in, or there's the theory of the Big Bang, right? That Everything started with this singularity, that all space, all time, all matter, and all the laws of nature started by something that can't be defined by time, space, matter, and the laws of nature. Christians have always believed this. We've always believed in an uncreated creator that was the cause of all of it. And so science would say that there was a first cause that's immaterial, spaceless, timeless, above and beyond the laws of nature, supra, if not supernatural, above and beyond the natural world. And Jesus came along and he said to this Samaritan woman, God is spirit which is exactly what modern people would have to assume about an uncreated first cause. The problem is, if God is spirit, spirit's like a really, really hard thing to define, right? It just is what it is. Like, you, you can't put it in a box. It's a hard thing to explain to somebody. So Jesus gives another descriptor of what God is like. What else did Jesus say about God? Number one, God is spirit. Number two, God is Father. Jesus is praying one day that his disciples, or with his disciples, and they ask him to teach them how to pray. Hey, you seem to have this great connection. How do we do that? And he tells them in Luke 11, verse 2, he says to them, when you pray, address God as Father, Father. And I don't want to get real caught up on, like, the gender stuff here, masculine stuff. What I want you to know is, one, God is spirit, and, number two, God is personal. Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples the best way that he could understand, that they could understand and it has to be hard for an eternal God to explain things to finite creatures. But Jesus wanted his disciples to know that God is personal and that he's a father. And that's a good starting place. That a spirit God is, is far away. It's indescribable. It seems inaccessible. But he is also father. He's close. He's personal. He's a provider. Here's the problem with that. And I think Jesus was aware of this then. If you didn't grow up with a good father, it's really hard to see God as father. right? And so I want to remind you that God is not a reflection of your earthly father. He is the perfection of what a father is supposed to be. And that's a huge idea. That God is a provider. He's there for you. He's close. He wants a relationship with you. And he wants what's best for you. So God is spirit and God is father. And then John, one of the 12th, right, 
His view of God was changed by Jesus. Jesus taught him what God was like. He had grown up Jewish. He thought that God loved Jewish people and just kind of tolerated everybody else. But Jesus changed his view of God. And when he wrote down a letter years later to other Christians explaining what God was like, he said this in 1 John 4, 8-10. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us, and he sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. So John, this guy that knew Jesus, lived with him for three years, when he decides to sum up who God was like, he says that God is love. Jesus would say God is spirit, God is Father, and God is love. And Jesus, right before the cross, is talking to his disciples, and he says, you may forget everything else I said, but I don't want you to forget this. This is really important. John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That the distinguishing mark of people that follow Jesus is not what verses that they've memorized, how often they go to church, what even they do or don't do. You will, people will know that you belong to Jesus by how you love them. That's the defining thing, that God is love. Not only did Jesus recognize that, not only did John tell us, I think we can get there kind of logically, but it requires a little bit of intellectual exercise. And so I want to close with kind of a weird thing to set this up, and that is this statement, that shade requires the sun. It requires the sun. And I know, again, this is a weird thing, but just go with me. It's true. The sun can exist without shade, right? But shade cannot exist without sun. In the same way, unloving requires love. You can't be unloving without the presence of love. Love must pre-exist unlove. Just like you can't have shade first. You have to have the sun first, and you can't have unlove first. Love must come first. And John, who had seen extraordinary violence against Christians, said... God is love. And this is why God can't be evil. This is why all the Roman and Greek gods who toyed with humanity, they, they weren't God. They weren't the one true God that created all of it. Because good has to pre-exist evil. God cannot be evil. And if we believe what Jesus said about God being spirit, that it all started there, science might call that the Big Bang, but it's this thing we can't measure that started everything else, then why should we be surprised, should be surprised that he is also love, that he is also a good God? Because if you recognize evil and injustice, you only can do that because you know about goodness and justice. And when you appeal to what is good and appeal to what is right, you're just declaring the essence and existence of a good, just, loving God. And if you seek shade, whether it's putting on a hat or your sunglasses or getting under an umbrella or a roof or a tree... You are acknowledging that the sun is too bright. I need to get out of it. You are declaring the existence of the power of the sun. And so every time we seek good and we try to do what we ought to do and pursue justice and what is right, we as space-time material-bound creatures are declaring the glory and essence of God. And so if you've ever said, and I'm sure a lot of us have, you know what, I'm not really a Christian and I don't really know a lot about Jesus I'm not even sure I believe the Bible, but I do think that God loves everybody. If you said that, you need to know that that's a distinctly Christian idea. 
That all started with John, who learned it from Jesus. Before Jesus, no one ever said that the essence of God was love. The, Gro the Roman and Greek gods certainly were not love. They were a lot of things, but it wasn't loving. And John says, you know what? I have been with the man that introduced us to God. And the best way I can describe it is just to say that God is love. That love preexisted everything less than love. Because just like you can't have shade without the sun, you can't have unloving without love. So if God is love, big question, we're going to talk about this the next few weeks, why is there evil in the world? But the question I want to leave with you today is, why do you know that there is evil in the world? How do you even recognize that the world is broken? Why do you recognize that there's things about you that are broken that you wish you could change but you can't? Why do you know the things that you shouldn't do and still do them? Forget what God says you shouldn't do. You, we, why do we do all that stuff? Well, maybe, 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 maybe that evil and sin are falling short, whatever you want to call it. Maybe that just declares the existence of God that possibly you've decided doesn't exist. And we like to excuse our shortcomings. We say this all the time. Nobody's perfect. And that's true. Nobody's perfect. But how do we even know what perfect is? Where do we even get the idea of perfection from? John would say because a perfect love preceded all of this, that God is love and he's what started all of it. And John wrote these words in the first century as he watched while his friends were being arrested tortured, and murdered. And in the midst of all of that horrible terror, pain, and bloodshed, he still concluded that God was love. And that's why I want you to reconsider your faith, because you may have walked away unnecessarily. And it might have been the church's fault. It was probably somebody like me that screwed it up, and I'll own that, because I have screwed it up really bad, and I hate that, okay? But don't use me or the church as an excuse to miss out on God and what he wants for you. Because the God who Jesus would say is spirit behind everything that exists. He's father. He's the perfection of fatherhood, not a reflection of your earthly father. He's close. He's personal. He's relatable. He wants what's best for you. And that God is also love. He's the light of the world. He's the light of the world. And so when it comes to God, Jesus is our best picture. Jesus is the best place to start. He's the most reliable source. And so as we leave today, I want to give you some homework. I normally don't do this, but I think you can handle it. The first thing I want you to do is read Isaiah 53. It won't take 10 minutes. And I just want you to read it for yourself and ask yourself the question, who does this sound like? Who does this sound like? It's sure hard to read that passage of Scripture and not think about Jesus. The second thing I'd like for you to do this week is to read the book of John. It's not a big book. It's just 25 pages. I promise you can handle it. You can do it. I promise. But I want you to know that this book was written as a firsthand account. John was there for all these things. He was an eyewitness to all these things. So I want you to read it and think about it. And what can you learn about God the Father from Jesus in that book? And then the third bit of homework is I want you to come back next week. Because the whole series is kind of all building to next week. And I don't want you to miss it. Bring somebody with you. But I would love for you to go. Read Isaiah 53. Read the book of John this week. You can do it. It's not overwhelming. Take a few pages a day. It's fine. But read it for yourself and come back next week so we can talk more about it. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for Jesus. We needed somebody to point us to you, and Jesus was the only solution. And so thank you for sending him. Thank you for what he did while he was here. Thank you for the people that experienced that, witnessed that, and then wrote it down so we would know about it 2,000 years later. 
Lord, we're thankful that you're the God that started it all. You're the cause of everything. We're thankful that we get to call on you as a father because you love us and you want a relationship with us and you want to provide for us and you know what's best for us. And Lord, we thank you that you're love. That shade can't exist without the sun and all this evil in the world can't exist without love first. And because you started it all, love started it all. We thank you for that. I ask that you would continue to reveal yourself to us in ways that we can't ignore or turn away from. And that we would look to Jesus for who you are and what you want for us. And we ask all of this in his name. Amen.